Hey everyone, I'm Lewis. Hi, I'm Jack. Welcome to Metaphysics of Fiction. Yeah, so this is um, basically just me and uh, Lewis. We're just going to be talking about uh, movies and uh, their, the, the, the meta behind it, basically. Well, not just movies. We will also be talking about all forms of fictional medium from TV series to comics as well. Yeah, so that'll be uh, really fun when we get to those. Um, so, quick, uh, I guess, explanation. So, if we go to meta, so something that is meta is like meta thought or metaphysics is meta thought is just thinking about thinking, and metaphysics is the the fundamental nature of reality and the relationships between things like the mind and matter and things like that. Um, so meta is really just kind of a, a self-reference to itself. Um, and that kind of makes sense. Uh, you know, if you think about like meta and League of Legends, you know, the meta in League of Legends is, is the composition that is just better than all other compositions. Um, and metaphys uh, meta fiction is actually a genre of uh, fiction it's kind of like a self-referential genre but in this instance metafiction is uh talking about the meta narratives that are sort of going on behind the scenes it's talking about the components that make up the medium uh and things like that and today we're going to talk about treasure planet so do you want to talk about anything first well, when it comes to Treasure Planet, which is also based off the novel Treasure Island, good on you, Disney, another one of your ripoffs, the main character we follow during our Treasure Planet is Jim Hawkins. And to me, it's quite obvious that an overarching theme of Treasure Planet is the idea of fatherhood in a way. But pretty much how a boy would learn how to be a man or learn his idea of being a man by watching a father figure, namely a person's actual father. They're always there. They're, they're the first person a son would look to to learn how to, how you should be acting, how you how to be strong, how, how essentially how to be a man. What Treasure Planet would do, what Treasure Pleasure does is it actually shows what could happen if a father isn't in a son's life and the son is left directionless, but he starts finding or seeing father figures in other people, like friends of the family, a person he just met, an authority figure in a way. That's it. Yeah. That's... yeah, like I, I, I always, I, this movie to me seems like it's just asking the question of who is Jim's father? Who who is Jim's dad? Um, but not like in the sense of, uh, of in the context of the story. Who's who's the guy who just leaves, um, who yeah. leaves Jim and leaves the mother? No, but like who is uh, who is who? who is who is inserting themselves in that role? Because there has to be someone in that parental role. Like even if you look at stories that involve orphans, for example, they will see maybe an older brother as the, the father figure. They will see um, maybe uh, just someone they interact with as a parental figure, right? And so the question the movie uh, asks, is asking a lot of times is, well, who is Jim's dad? 
Who is Jim's dad right now? Who has what earned are they doing? the what are they right? Providing? Who is Jim trying to emulate? Who has earned the right to be called Jim's dad? Yeah. Um, I, I don't know. I want to say emulate, but like, yeah, but who is, who is, who is earning that right to be Jim's dad? Like, and, and what are the qualities that make them earn that right? In my opinion, you get a few of the roles done by a couple of the characters, including ironically, in some fashion, the mother in a way, because she is trying to take the position of both forms of a carer, like single mothers usually would. They're trying to be the mother and the father. It's something hard, but it's something they have to do. She's trying to set her, his path on something. He's tr she's trying to, um, she's trying to make sure, trying to, he's, she's trying to make sure he can be all he can be when he's still being a bit of a ruffian. And it's hard for him. Yeah, well, so she's, she, um, Jim's mom is is basically trying to do a balancing act where she wants to she wants to be there she wants to be a carer for him, um, but she also needs to be that authority figure and it doesn't exactly pan out very well and you you can see that in that scene where uh, Jim is just left off by the police robots and she's like oh what do you want do you want to do you want to go to juvenile hall. Is that what you want? And then he, he starts to give her um, the story. And she just looks disappointed. And then Jim just disengages from that. It's it If you can replace any of... If you can replace uh, John Silver in that scene, and the second Jim starts to explain it, he would just be back. He's like, no, you were in the wrong here. You've done the wrong thing here. Uh, he, he, would, he would be that kind of force there. But... Uh, but she's trying to be that force, but also be caring for Jim. And it's, it's a very difficult place to be. Another person to pick out as a competitor for Jim's father to emulate would definitely be the Dr. Dobler, played by David Hypeus. He's trying to be the person that can be there for Jim, but doesn't exactly understand him on some level because they are two completely different people like um, yeah he's he's basically he's basically the weak father yeah Doppler is is he's just a weak father he's a weak man right so like he can being the astrophysicist and being like probably the most intelligent person in the movie he can pro he can probably understand everything and he tries to en engage with every uh with uh he tries to engage with even the police robots when they come in to, uh, to hand over Jim. And he just doesn't know how to correctly socialize with the entire situation. Because usually what he does is he's recluse. He's recluse. He's alone. He's by himself. He's, he's this contained person, essentially. Yeah, he's a guy that would sit at his... He's most comfortable sitting at his desk in his study, surrounded by books. He doesn't know how to interact with people. That's why you, know, you notice that a lot during the movie when they're on the ship, like when he's trying to take a picture of the space, <laughs> space whales, and um, and he gets pretty much shot at with a whole bunch of space snot. Yeah, and, and like, he... I bet, I bet he knows. He knows everything there is to know about that space whale. But, and it's the, um, and it's the, um, and it's the captain who sort of points out, it's just like, ah, oh, you, no, listen, you don't want to be that close. You don't, 
<laughs> get blasted. Um, and actually, like speaking of uh, the captain, she's she's kind of the she's kind of the opposite. So if um, Doppler is the is a perfectly intelligent creature, if if he if Doppler is the intelligent uh, father the the intelligent and weak father then she is the strong but distant father i would yeah. say like she has a lot of savvy she knows what to do in a lot of simulate a, a lot of situations just by her experience as a yeah captain. but and and you can also tell she is distant because she's not exactly trying to form an emotional bond to her jim is just another sailor that she wants to, like, she knows that he's inexperienced, so he she just kind of puts him to work, trying to put him in the situation, and then yeah. he just yeah, it's pretty much like that. It, it, and you're like, like he's he's just an employee, he's just he's just a, a ruffian that she needs to straighten out, right? There's no connection there that she has, despite like she has probably a lot of the qualities of a good parent, yeah, but she, um, she she's missing that one factor, that one factor which is the relationship. Yeah, and you also can probably see that how she kind of also, in a way, has like a relationship with Mister Arrow because he's a um, he's a very good employee. He's he's straight. He's to the point. He, <laughs> yeah, he's her second in command. Mister Arrow, <laughs> they're so on the nose sometimes. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, he's straight as an arrow. <laughs> yeah, he's straight as an arrow. You know, he's he's a he's a he's a straight shooter. He doesn't kid around. He gets to the point. <laughs> that can also, Mr. Arrow could also be used as another form of example in a way of um, favoritism when it comes to fatherhood. He's like, he's her favorite, and Jim is just the no good. Yeah, like she's only interested if if you know the person is acting accordingly. She's only she's only interested in you if you are this kind of pure individual. If Indeed. if you are just if you are as straight as an arrow, but if you're if you're Jim, if you're if, you know if you have some trouble and yeah, if you're you have, a little all over the place, yeah, if you're if you're a little all over the place, if you, uh, you know, if you're if you're a bit misguided, then you're not as interesting to her. You're just sort of a problem that requires fixing, and that's kind of or, the same way that um that the robots view jim as well and because they're yeah. another father figure in this movie yeah the uh, authoritarian the, the unfeeling authoritarian i think the robots actually i think it's really smart that uh that for a kind of governmental authority they've used mm. robots in this case and it's really funny so um i was watching this movie with two of our other friends josh and paulo and josh actually pointed out that that these aren't the only robots in this movie, aside from uh, aside from these robots and Ben. There's also one more robot. He's a window washer at the starport. That's it. These are the only robots in the movie. They're so sparsed out. Um, but with these ones, with the police uh, robots, it's it's very it's very mechanical what they are. Like they they are a proper authority for Jim, right? Because they're they're willing to put some kind of punishment to Jim's actions. They're trying. They they're willing to put some kind of responsibility on him, but that responsibility is 
completely one-sided. It's yeah. there's no there's no give and take. There's no relationship there. Definitely, that's the definite. Like they, it's not just even just a matter of distance. It's just it's just unfeeling. It's just another thing. I will take care of this. We'll do what is our programming, and then we'll just leave it. Yeah, he's a bad choicer. He's a de- he's a dead ender. He's <laughs> he, they like, pawn him off. They, say. they pawn him off on the mother. It's pretty much saying, "Look, I'm gonna spank you, but then you're your mother's problem." Yeah, yeah. Also, like they have they have no um they they don't even care to be a part of the family dynamic, which is which is like it's which is a very real thing as well. Yeah, that's um, a subject. They uh. They, they they step in, they give some kind of punishment, but then they just give it back to the family and step out of the picture. Yeah, exactly. There's definitely no way to actually raise a child. They need all forms of affection. Yeah. Well, I think I think that's it's a, it's a strong argument why the government can't step in as a kind of parental figure. It's 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 very difficult for them because they're a structure like that is is just incapable of providing that kind of relationship on an individual level. Like they have to go collective. Mm, definitely. Because they're, they're trying to provide for everyone. And then we have John Silver. Yep, the one we've been pretty much just been beating around the bush. Everyone knows we were gonna make our way here. And now here we are. Long John Silver, our main father figure in this case, the one that Jay that Jim, sorry, Jim responds to because he actually can can relate to each other. Because you can tell the two of them have kind of run, would run in the same circles. They probably had a hard life. They're a bit on the ruffian side. They've probably been on the wrong side of the law. And so people just look to them and see uh, good for nothing. So they're able to actually make some form of a connection. And yeah, the, the imagery of, of John Silver is actually really great as well because John Silver is a cyborg, right? So hmm. what does John Silver have? He has on the right-hand side, he has his basically the ro- the robot the authority the 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 strength that comes behind uh being, being that, that is required yeah. for being a father right and then on the left hand side see i i researched this so he's actually a bear he's part bear part cyborg right but when i was watching the movie i was i kept thinking that he was some kind of dog like uh dr doppler because that's the other side of him that it is that caring an emotional side of him that he that he has with morph as well and he shows it with morph like throughout the movie um, oh, and eventually stops sharing it with jim <laughs> yeah morph yeah. is so good as well yeah i mean he's that little puppy we all want <laughs> yeah exactly but like yeah oh, it's it's really great because disney movies i i don't know i don't know why they do it but i feel like a lot of the times they just insert these kind of small creatures that hang around the protagonist and they represent something about the protagonist um so you know you have peter ben, uh peter pan and tinkerbell you have john silver and morph you have uh, ariel and sebastian <laughs> ariel and sebastian right exactly you have you have a whole bunch of these films where the main one of the main characters is accompanied by this small little creature Oh, and you have Pinocchio and Jiminy Cricket, and like these small creatures always represent something about those characters, and it's I love it. It's brilliant story storytelling. Yeah, back to Silver though. <laughs> we almost got a bit sidetracked there about Silver, but yeah, um, I think also using the idea of a bear and a dog with the two. See, a dog you 
would see more has been is more associated with the idea of companionship like the friends you always need but bears are usually used as a form of um of affection in a, like a family situation they've always been despite the facts i wouldn't actually want to be stuck in a bear's <laughs> home <laughs> as you get the idea of a bear hug you have the nicknames mama bear and papa bear and they usually to signify a big warm presence, uh, ha- an idea of a happy parentage in a way. So it is actually a good idea to use that alongside the authoritarian machine form when developing this idea of a character, a warm and approachable man, but ha- that still has a firm authoritarian hand. And you get that with Silver, because he's not just being his... Um, Vardy, he's also being his boss, his teacher. He's pretty much teaching him what Silver learned, what it meant to be a man. Mm. Like wh- whenever I um I look at John um and like with the bear specifically, I think I I move away from a kind of uh familial relational bond, and I think of it more as a kind of adversarial kind of thing because I think that a good father is someone that you're actually constantly, you're in some kind of fight against, mm. right? So it's usually relegated to a, a mothering position to be the, the carer mm. to, uh, to, for the compassionate, for the uh, kind of emotional safety, let's say. And then when it comes to the father, that's more about the security. But a lot of the times it's, you're fighting with your father because your father is trying to impose some kind of some kind of rule, some kind of way that you should live your life, and you're usually at odds with this. And like, I love it in those uh, scenes immediately after he um after he gets uh after the captain is just like, go deal with your child, essentially. <laughs> and uh, he's running around the ship, and he goes, "All right, I got two new friends for you, Mister Mop and Mrs. Bucket." Bucket. Oh, I love that part. And frankly, I believe you're right. There's, there's some aspects, like even with my dad, that I can actually attest to that. And also, for all you listeners, for my day job, my dad's also my boss. So yeah, it's not a good combination. <laughs> Um, but it's that it's that adversarial nature that that allows that allows Jim to grow, right? It's like, it, it, especially okay. So during like the you know the music montage where the you know they're going through all the different scenes. One of the scenes is uh, so Jim's scrubbing pots and pans, and then yeah, John comes in. He just gives him more pots and pans, and then he looks at him and he's like, "God, this this guy! I swear to God!" And he just he just scrubs them even harder he just starts going at it even more it, it this adversarial kind of kind of uh kind of motivation comes yeah, out he's... and it, it 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 forces him to complete the job because it's like screw this guy i'm gonna i'm gonna he, i'm gonna fine i'll do it and i'll and i'll do a great job of it i think adversarial is probably a bit too strong of words more of like challenger type of situation like because adversarial kind of makes it sound like your dad's the enemy like he's, yeah. He's meant to, yeah, he's meant to there. He's meant to there. Dad's always there to teach, but also to challenge. Because mm. your dad isn't going to hold on to your bike the entire time when you're taking the training wheels off. He's going to let go, and he's going. Yeah. You're going to have to figure it out. Mm. And and you definitely get that with Silver. Like he's going to teach you, but he's going to make you do it. 
Because you, you actually see that also when they within the same montage when he's doing the when he's teaching him him how to use the rope, uh, to tie the rope. He ties it and expects and immediately expects him to do it. And he's, you, you kind of see that Silver has this arrogant face, thinking, "Yeah, I did that. It took me God knows how long to manage to get it like that on my very first try. Let's see what happens when you do it." And then he just then Jim's just already walking off, showing that he can do this, mm. and he did it almost immediately. So that also shows that Silver is impressed that the kid's rising up to the challenge as well. And, yeah, um, well, well, John, John does the does the one thing that no other character has done up to that point, which is recognize his ability. Yeah, he, he recognizes. Oh wait, Jim already knows how to do this. Let's try and do something more com- more complicated. Let's take him out on the boat. Mm-hmm. And that is absolutely one of the most beautiful parts of the scene. You can tell they're actually they're actually bonding. They, they're finding the common ground, and even though Silver will continue to challenge him, he's actually learning that he likes the boy. He's actually learning he likes Jim. And you can also see some form of that when um, when Silver's, when basically his figurative mask comes off and reveals that Silver's actually a pirate. Spoilers. Mm. <laughs> and, Spoilers um, from 2002 or something. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you don't know who's watching. We can yeah, have well, they like, should um, watch this movie. <laughs> yes, if you haven't seen this movie, but for some reason you're tuning into this podcast first episode about this movie. Spoiler yeah, go, war, go, spoiler go watch it. Spoiler, he's a pirate, <laughs> and they go to Treasure Planet. Um, you can also see kind of like Silver is also defending Jim, even like even if it's subtle, from the um, from the from that crab pirate. He's he he pulls out like as some actual crab crackers from his interchangeable hand and just starts yep. cracking his claw yep. because he started like um saying he's gone soft about the kid. He's defending who he is, but he's also defending Jim at the same time because he likes the kid and he thinks that he probably is thinking that this kid could actually be a part of our crew if you don't be so if you don't be an asshole about it. Mm. Um, probably should believe that we haven't actually discussed if we should be allowed <laughs> to swear in this. <laughs> I don't know. We're Aussie. We swear yeah, a lot. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, like, I, I think, I think that's, um, I think that's a good observation. Um, oh, that we swear a lot. <laughs> no, no, not that. Uh, <laughs> that you know, John, John definitely fulfills that kind of role of a pr- protector. He he sees something mm-hmm. in Jim, and I think the movie wants us to think that it's he sees something of himself in jim um i I think i think that's definitely shown more towards the end of the movie it's also kind of shown throughout the movie through art through the artwork actually in my opinion because um even though like throughout the movie like you can notice like all this different forms of color schemes with Silver and Jim, they got their clothing kind of has a similar kind of has a similar scheme: the white undershirt with the dark jacket. Mm. And, and there's other schemes with the other thoughts, other figures. Like the captain has the captain and Arrow have the colored vests, like uh, the blue and the red one. Um, Doppler has more of the of a white shirt situation maybe like a light brown vest it, it, it that shows a form of similarity but the more of the white shows he's probably more for one side he got the full blue from the the machines 
so they can already sh they're already showing that these two are going to be connected that these two has similar because they're kind of like almost designed the colors designed the same way like they're almost cut from the same cloth yeah yeah and i you know i mean it's it's all speculative because we don't know about john's past um but the only thing we we actually know about um john's past is that he kind of it's probably implied that he has either unwillingly lost his limbs or have willingly given up his limbs in order to attain the cyborg body so that he can better chase after this treasure, better chase after this treasure planet. And, it's, and it sort of comes as a, as a warning, as a little bit of something you can only learn through living your life. Just be like, oh, like, you know, sometimes... Yeah. Sometimes plans don't go as planned. Sometimes, uh, sometimes you're willing to give up a lot for a dream. Mm. Yeah, he pretty much gave up half his body, and that's and that's also another lesson that he. I think I think yeah. that was also another lesson he gave Jim that sometimes life's just gonna hit you hard. Yeah, and like, or especially um, even if it's well, Jim doesn't know that it's not his fault at that time, but John does especially after the scene where all the lifelines uh, are checked and arrows has been uh, cut has been unsecured and the spoilers um, yeah not more spoilers and, and jim jim is basically where every kid who is who is in that situation not in that situation specifically but in a situation of you know they've always been sort of looked at as that kind of troublemaker or that yeah, the screw kid that does the screw the one that doesn't do anything right and jim just comes out and it's just like i had my chance this was my chance to do something right for once and i failed i i couldn't do it and uh, and John has to come in, and he doesn't. And he initially comes in and he tries to reassure him, kind of like a mother, where it's like, you know, it, you know, it wasn't your fault, you know, you couldn't you couldn't predict this, you know, it's okay. And then he goes, no, listen here, right? There's things are gonna go bad, but you know what's gonna happen when things are gonna be good? I'm gonna wish I'm gonna be there. You're you're <laughs> gonna you're gonna glow like the sun, and I want to catch some of those rays when you eventually get this right. Yep, you've got the makings of greatness in you. And this is probably, when it comes to fatherhood, this is probably the most important job. It's the, you got to be the encourager. you got to be the motivational speaker. Like, a mother... I mean, I'm not trying to be, like, biased or anything right now. No, but no, like, we're, ta we're talking about archetypes. Yeah. So, like, yeah. obvious, obviously, you know, just for a, uh, a bit of a disclaimer... Um, Men and females can do the opposite jobs and <laughs> exhibit the opposite archetype. Take me. I am actually a very feminine man. I've actually been told this with kids in my classroom. Like, so you're really feminine. I'm like, yes, thank you. Uh, oh, yeah, and a little bit of context. He actually teaches at an all-girls school. Oh, no, no, I don't teach at all-girls school right now. I teach, um, I teach at a Coptic Orthodox school. It's very oh, well, funny. there you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What I'm trying to say is a mother... If you're talking about your, your archetypes, mother would usually be uh, in a caring role, would be like a pillow, soften your blow when you're falling. With a father, they would be trying, like we said before, they would give you the challenge. And when you feel ready, like you want to quit the challenge, 
the most important thing a father would do, instead of laughing at Charles or calling him a quitter or making him feel bad when he's down, when this challenge gets too hard and the child ends up on the ground, they pick him up and they put him back on it and say, I know you can do this. You've got something and you can make the most of it. They encourage you. They are, they are there to encourage, not only to give the challenge, but to convince the to convince the person that they can actually do it right Re replace the replace john with any of the other father figures in that scene right if you take uh doppler he'll just go well maybe maybe this just isn't for you you know maybe 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 we should uh maybe we should call it a day and find something else jim right yeah you put, if you put the, the captain put the put the captain in it's just like well yeah you did mess up you did fuck up do well next time <laughs> actually, no. I, actually, in this situation, like we talked about earlier, there was a sense of favoritism between um, Arrow and Jim. So mm -hmm. this would probably be the dad that would go, "It's your fault. He's there. It's your fault. He's dead. It should have been you. It should have been you." Uh, no, I don't, I don't think. I don't think she's. I don't think she's. Like no, that no, she would have been. No, she wouldn't be that bad. But she would probably like. She would kind of like put some of the blame on him. It's like shape up do better oh this is going to keep happening and it will be your fault yeah she wouldn't yeah, make it feel good yeah. she would really she would really make it feel she would like make it feel worse than he's already mm. feeling because especially like don't get me wrong there are some people out there who would be in this situation and really not like we said earlier not this situation directly <laughs> where they could <laughs> like fuck up immensely and not give a rat's ass. Yeah. So sometimes you need the captain because they're going to need that kick in the ass. But Jim in this situation, he felt like this was his moment to prove himself. It went bad. So he really wouldn't have needed that. He really needed some encouragement to try again. Yeah. And then like, um, you know, and, and we kind of have like the, the, the final resolution of that where, um, where at, at the very end they're trying to escape treasure planet mm. and uh jim jim has this idea he has this plan on how they're going to how they're going to get off and instead of you know instead of questioning okay what what are you what are you trying to do jim or um you know what what's your plan jim uh or jim stop that help me with my plan it's mm. what do you need jim and he's like i need this attached and he just gets it attached and then Jim yeah, explains his plan to John, and it's okay. I trust you now. It's yeah. it's okay. It's okay. I trust you. You are going to chart your own course right now. You are going. You are going to go for it. Yeah, the ultimate. The this belief. Yep. The trust and belief a father can actually have in his child and his son. And you can tell that because, like, the captain and Doppler both hesitate at this idea. He's like, "I'm going to change the portal." I'm going to go, turn the ship around and go. And they're just like, okay. Uh, <laughs> we're like, all going to die. <laughs> this is nuts, but all right, fine. Yeah, but uh, Silva, he didn't even flinch. He was like, yeah, let's go. Listen to the boy. I know he can do this. Mm. Yeah, I believe. I believe that he's, that he's capable of this. I believe that he is going to succeed. Mm. Yeah, we also can see like a form of um, Jim's not Jim uh, Silver's belief in Jim in the moment in Treasure Planet when they're actually in the treasure room, and 
Um, Silver has to make a choice. He's trying to save the treasure, and he's also trying to save Jim. There we have actually discovered that he definitely has a soft spot for Jim. He actually cares about Jim. Sorry, that's that's no longer a question. He wants to protect the kid, but he's also now torn between the uh, between Jim and the treasure. This part I also kind of find clever. You can tell his metallic part, his cyborg arm, is what's holding onto the treasure, and he's reaching his for Jim with his organic part. His unfeeling part is holding to gold and material wealth, and his actual bare warm self is reaching for Jim. And he finally makes it. He finally makes a choice. He lets go of the treasure. He actually chooses Jim over the treasure. And then he actually goes to my favorite line. It's a lifelong obsession. I'll get over it. Yeah, I'll, I'll get a new one. <laughs> <laughs> I'll find a new one. Uh, yeah, he's already kind of found a new one. He's he's obsessed with Jim's success. Yeah. And, 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 I don't know. I, uh, I actually, I haven't thought about this because it only just came to me just now, but I, there might be something there to say that sometimes the, sometimes the father needs to be willing to, to sacrifice something really important to them for the kid. Yeah, and that's, I'd... that's the thing that's going to, that's going to, um, well, t- t- save their life essentially. Um, in, yeah. in, in some sense. Um, it, it, and that idea of sacrifices is definitely heavy in the in the father archetype. Um, yeah, it's, what it's a very one. It's very what there. a dad is. What a dad's willing to give up for the child. Mm, yeah, exactly. Uh, that that's a, definitely would be a symbol of a of a strong father, mm. but it also depends on what he's willing to give up. Yeah, like I'm not calling any dads out. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, you know, if if your dad doesn't jump off a bridge for you, it doesn't mean they don't love you. (laughs) Jeez, I feel like I'm just scared of everybody. Don't (laughs) hurt me! (laughs) All right, Uh, I think it's time we start wrapping this up. Yeah, yeah. Um, All right, well, that was a a nice conversation. Uh, So, that was the end. This is Metaphysics and Fiction. Um, Thank you all for listening. If you're listening to this on YouTube, please give us a like and subscribe and leave a comment down below of what you thought or any form of criticism either. This is our very first episode, so we are willing to learn. You can find us on both Facebook and Instagram under the Metaphysics of Fiction, or you can even find us on just about wherever you can get your podcasts connected to, that is connected to Anchor. Thank you for listening. Tune in to us next time where we will be discussing the movie Kong Skull Island. And we'll see if we can do a bit of a deep dive on a big-ass monster movie. Thank you for listening. Goodbye.